Good morning, saints of Sovereign Grace Bible Church. It's a joy to be back together with you. Thankful to, to be here, to share this morning with you, to worship our Lord with you, to open his word with you, to study it, to delight it, to meditate upon it, and to be transformed by it. We get to do that in our time together this morning. Uh, I bring greetings on behalf of the Saints of Redeemed South Bay. Uh, you guys got to have Pastor Kenny also last week, I believe, and he was in the passage right before this. So we were hoping that this would be a sort of just mini consecutive uh, sermon here, series on, on Ephesians 4. And uh, I think he dealt a little bit with the more theological and theoretical. And this morning I get to uh, follow Paul's lead and exploring the real practical tangible elements of the new life in Christ that we've been called to. And so if you grab the Bible in front of you, or if you have one in your lap, the Pew Bible should be page 978. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and 32 to 32 in our time this morning. But we'll begin reading in verse 17. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses, beginning in verse 17, the word of God reads, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now for our text this morning. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, and we 
acknowledge that you are the one true and living God and there is no other God besides you. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are the one who made us and you are the one who has sustained our very lives, Lord, every single one of us, every breath, to this very moment in your grace, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that even though we went astray, even though we are sinners, Lord, even though we have rebelled against you, you made a way for your son to come and to save us and to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into a right relationship, to bring peace between you, a holy God, and us, defiled, ungodly sinners. And you made the way to, for us to be made right with you through the shed blood of your son, who you sent and who came and who lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial atoning death in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. And he rose on the third day and he ascended into heaven and he seated at your right hand and we wait for him to come again to judge the living and the dead. But until then, Lord, you have called us to follow you and your son. You've called us to live like you and your son, both for your glory, Lord, and for our joy. And so, God, I just ask through the preaching of your word and through this text specifically that we would have ears to hear, that we would have a willingness of heart to understand, to receive, and to live according to all that you call us to do in this text this morning. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You no doubt understand that or have experienced the fact that everywhere you go, every person you talk to, almost everything that you do, you run into people who are trying to tell you how you should live your life. Whether that's the newspaper you pick up in the morning, whether that's the phone that you picked up, or, or, or whether that's somebody you just ran, out, ran into out on the street, or a book that, that you're reading, or, or what's being said on the radio, no doubt we are bombarded constantly with all sorts of ideas and philosophies and worldly ideologies in regards to how we should live. And so you hear all sorts of different things. Some people just tell you to be a good person. Other people just tell you to, you know, uh, just be kind and, and, you know, don't do any harm to other people. Other people might tell you, hey, you shouldn't listen to anyone. It's kind of ironic, right? Because uh, <laughs> do I listen to that or not, right? <laughs> if I listen to you, then, uh, then I'm not listening to you. But if I don't listen to you, right, then I'm listening to you. What do I do with that? So we understand that there is a way that we are to live. It's right for us to be told how to live as long as the one who's telling us is in a, one who knows how we should live. And for the Christian, we don't take anybody who, you know, who's been living on this world for, you know, only a, a mere 20 to 60 to 80 years, you know, that's, that's great. And you've gained a lot of wisdom and experience in that time, but that's nothing compared to the eternal God who has always existed, who is perfect in wisdom, who is perfect in power, who is omniscient, who is all knowing, who is all wise. He's the one we go to, and he's the one who tells us how to live our lives, and he can be trusted, and he should be the one who we listen to, and anytime 
anything we hear from anyone else other than God contradicts what God says, then that should be a very easy decision for us. God or puny man. (laughs) The one who created everything or the one who has only been here for a few moments. The one who has always existed. We, We run to him. And so when we think about how we should live our lives, it makes total sense as believers in God and in Christ that we run to God and we see what he says. And we notice that God commands us to be as he is. It's what we just read in Leviticus chapter 19. He says, be holy. Why? For I am holy. So he's never asking or telling us to do that which he himself doesn't do. He perfectly embodies this this perfect righteousness, and then he calls us to embody it and live it as well. So the commands and the, the roles and the responsibilities that we're given as Christians are really just us following in our Father's footsteps. The stuff that saying to us, he's saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you follow the words here, then we're following Paul and and we're also following Christ who lived this way as well and taught Paul these things. But then not only that, we realize that Christ was just being the son of the father who was doing all things that he saw the father doing. And so by paying attention to these words, we follow Paul, we follow Christ all the way to the father. And this is why In verse 24, it says that we're to put on the new self, which is a a new life created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then down in chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians, to therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. So we, when we consider this question of how we should live our lives, What sort of roles do we have and responsibilities do we have for this new life in Christ? I think that sometimes uh, it can be a little bit uh, theoretical. It could be a little bit theological. But here we get immensely practical. And so I want us to look at four, excuse me. I want us to, to look at then five roles that show us very practically how we are to live our new life as followers of Christ, so that we will walk like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the first role that shows us very practically how to live our new life in Christ, so that we will walk like God in true righteousness and holiness, is to live as members. Live as members. We see this in verse 25 of our text. It says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. So live as members. To live as a member is a much different life than life as not a member. Uh, and, and what is Paul talking about when he speaks of being members? He's, he's talking about being members of the body of Christ, which is one of the uh, prominent metaphors that's used in the book of Ephesians. We see back in chapter 1, verse 23, that Christ was ascended and he was given as head to the church. And the church is described as his body. 
in chapter 2, verse 3, it says that through the death of Christ, Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled uh, and have been made one new man in the place of two, making peace and reconciled them both to God in one body through Christ's work on the cross. So both Jew and Gentile, young and old, male and female, all of us who believed in Christ have become parts, members of the body of Christ. And that's our new life in Christ. And by the way, when I speak of our new life in Christ, some of you may be thinking, man, this doesn't feel like a very new life for me because I've been following Christ for a long time. But what I'm talking about, I'm using it in the way that Paul speaks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. The new life that we have in Christ is in comparison to the old one when we were living without Christ when we were not having anything to do with Christ, when we were not members of his church, when we were in unbelief and all the things that were described, uh, walking as the Gentiles do, as Paul says there in, at the beginning, uh, or in verse 17. And so we have a new life as members, and this member life is a different life. And it requires certain things of us. We belong to a body, and we are now working together with other members of the body. And so you know what is crucial if you're living, and you're organically and structurally connected to other persons, it becomes extremely important for you to communicate and to communicate in truth. Notice what Paul says here. As the responsibility of members. He says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That means stop lying. Stop deceiving. Stop telling people you're going to do stuff that you have no intention to do. Stop saying that you're going to do something and say, I swear to God that I'll do it. When you have no intention to do it. Stop giving people half-truths. Stop being intentionally ambiguous in regards to what you're saying. Because if you were clear, then they would know and they would understand and they would act differently. Be humble. Be honest. Speak the truth. Anything short of that is, has no place in a new life when you're a member of a body. Think about it if the members of your body are not in communication with each other and they're not speaking to each other. Uh, I used to run uh, hurdles in high school. What happens if I'm approaching that hurdle <laughs> and my body's not communicating with, the, with, with the other members very well? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get hurt. I'm going to break. I'm going to break some members. You know, if the, my foot and my knee and my, you know, everything's not all working together, this is going to end bad. We have to speak the truth. This is our life as members. Who is it that speaks lies? Jesus says to Jews that he was speaking to in John 8, 48, he says, uh, 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire, desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when, when we as members lie to each other, what are, who are we really imaging or who, whose likeness are we bearing in those moments? Our Father in heaven? No. Satan himself, the father of lies. 
This is why as members, we have to put away all falsehood, right? Lying to one another in the body of Christ is not how we learned Christ. In fact, God hates lies. Proverbs chapter six, it says there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. He says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Do any of you want to live with a person or serve with a person or work with a person who is not telling you the truth, but who is lying to you? None of us want that. Nothing destroys trust, ruins relationships quicker than lying and falsehood. All of us hate it when someone tells us a lie. We can't stand it. It shatters trust. It destroys unity. When when you can't trust a person, then you can't, it's really hard to even work with a person in any way that's efficient or helpful or constructive because you're so distracted. The stuff, it just slows everything down and takes way more time to do anything because you got to double check everything. But when we're speaking the truth in love, then as members, we can work together uh, in ways that that are united and efficient and pleasing to the Lord and quick. We're members. So put away all falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor. Uh, I like John Chrysostom's illustration. He says this. He, he, He says, if the eye sees a serpent, does it lie to the foot? Or if the nose smells a deadly drug, will it lie to the mouth? Or if the tongue tastes something bitter, will it lie to the stomach? Right? And so this illustrates for us, all the members of the body have to be speaking the truth in love. We don't need to hide anything. We don't need to cover anything. We don't need to make empty promises. We don't need half-truths of any kind. We don't, we don't need to flatter. We need the truth in love always. And so live as members who speak the truth in love. And when you speak the truth, guess who you're being like? The God who is truth. Jesus who is the way and the truth. As it said in our passage, as the truth is in Jesus. Hebrews 6.18 tells us it's impossible for God to lie. So when we speak the truth, we follow in the footsteps of our Lord, who is also doing the exact same thing as his Father in heaven, who is perfectly holy and righteous and only speaks the truth. So how should we live? We should live as members. But now secondly, we move to our second point that we should also live as soldiers. The second role that shows us very practically how we are to live our new life as followers of Christ is the role of soldiers. Let's look at verses 26 and 27. Verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And maybe you're thinking, uh, you just read those verses, but what's that have to do with being a soldier? Pay attention to that last part. And give no opportunity to the 
devil. What do we see when we read that? We see that we are in a spiritual warfare. We are in the midst of a battle that's raging right now. And mention of the devil reminds us that we have a supernatural enemy that is seeking to destroy and to undermine and to attack each and every single one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and here's the truth of the matter. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, we were all once following him. We are following Satan. In chapter 2, it says that we are following the prince of the power of the air. That's speaking of Satan. The spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And Paul says that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath like the rest of mankind. And so all of us were once on his side. We were soldiers on the wrong team. We were, we were, we were with Satan. We were born on Satan's side, but by God's grace, through the gospel, we've been born again onto the Son of God's side. We have changed armies. We have changed sides. We have been moved, and now we are part of the Lord's army. And guess what? Satan's not happy about it. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. And he wants to do everything he can to, to, to destroy and to undermine Christ's church. You see, when we, you get to chapter 6 of Ephesians, the next mention that we have of the enemy and of Satan, of the devil, is in chapter 6, verse 10. And here we read, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Live as soldiers. Live in light of the fact that you are on the battleground, that you are laboring alongside other soldiers, and that you need to all be working together as a united front in order to keep a solid line of defense from the attacks of the evil one. And here's how this connects now to anger. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. You see, we read that and, and we, can have a, uh, we can have this idea in our minds that, oh, you know, the, 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 the bitterness that I have, the anger that I have, the, 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 the fact that I'm upset with that brother or sister in Christ is, is not really that big of a deal. I'll, get, I'll eventually get to reconciling with that person. I'll eventually, you know, have one of those hard conversations where, you know, we humble ourselves and we really talk to one another and share what, what we feel offended by and ask forgiveness and reconcile. But, but just I'm not going to do that right now. And when you believe that, guess what you've done? You believe the lies of the evil one. 
and you've said, you know, I know that there's, there is a breach in a relationship here. I know that, 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 that my, my fellow soldier and I are not right. And instead of running to them and immediately working on being reconciled to them, you put it off and you, you prolong it. And what that does is it gives an opportunity for the enemy to come and to attack you. It's essentially like you're saying, you know, come on right over here. Come on, Satan, enter in. Here's a little spot for you. You can come in through here and you can destroy us all. That's how seriously grudges, bitterness, conflict, division in the church is between members. That's how serious it is. And so with something that serious, you need to be, there's a, there's just a great sense of urgency to fix it, to reconcile, right? He says here, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So, so if I'm upset with my brother and my sister in Christ, when should I squash the beef by? Sunset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, well, what if I didn't? And I went to bed and then I, what, as soon as you can. Now is the time to be reconciled. Go. Leviticus 19 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. How might you incur sin if you just sit there and are mad at a person instead of going and talking to them about it? You, you incur sin by one, not dealing with it in the time allotted that's it's said here. You didn't have the sense of urgency to be reconciled that you ought to because you didn't go and fix the problem, address it with the person. Or two, what you notice is even if, you're, even if what you're upset about is justified, which can happen on a lot of occasions, hear this, when it says be angry and do not sin, there's a place for us to be angry about sins that have been committed against us or against others. But then what do you do with that? If you seek revenge, if you put it, you know, just uh, swipe it under the, the rug, if you prolong it, if you spread it, if you do any of these other things, you have now sinned instead of going to that person and dealing with it. Leviticus 19 says, do not hate your brother in your heart, but reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him, and you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when someone sins against you, do you gossip? Do you tell other people what they said or what they did? Or do you go immediately and seek reconciliation with them, understanding that this is a fellow soldier. And if we're not united, then both of our heads are looking the wrong way and the enemy has easy access to come and destroy us. There's an urgency to dealing with it because we are soldiers on the field of battle. Our new life in Christ, we live as members and we live as soldiers. This leads to our third point then, and that is that we live as providers. So live as members, live as soldiers, and live as providers. We see this in verse 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So very practically, one of the new roles we have in our new life in Christ is to be providers. 
The responsibility for that, put negatively, is let the thief no longer steal. So we have a responsibility as providers to not be thieves and to not steal. And we also have a responsibility positively to labor and do honest work with our own hands. Live your new life in Christ as providers. You see, there's an unholy and an unrighteous way to try and provide. What's that? Through stealing. Stealing is in direct violation to God's commands. He commanded in the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal. We see stealing condemned throughout the, the New Testament. We see Paul even say in 1 Corinthians uh, that neither the thieves nor the greedy nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. Uh, we see in Revelation 21 uh, that, that, uh, that those who are, are liars um, and thieves are not going to inherit the Porsche, the, the lake of, they're going to inherit the lake of fire, which is the second death. And back in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and such were some of you. We were thieves. But Paul says, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified. So the new life in Christ has no place for attempting to provide for oneself or for anyone else through stealing other people's stuff. What does it mean to steal? One definition I like from the New City Catechism just speaks of taking without permission that which belongs to someone else. Taking without permission that which belongs to someone else. Is there anything you're taking without permission that belongs to someone else? Small, large, we are to be providers working what is good, doing honest work, being like our Father in heaven, who is the perfect, ultimate provider. And it's out of his provision that every single person who makes any provision for anyone else is able to do so. Because that provision comes from our Father, and then it comes down to us, and then we ourselves, through hard work, trusting in God, and doing fruitful and productive labor, we are to also do that sort of work and provide for others. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, he says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, it says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And he says, Now such persons we encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. I think sometimes we can feel like we go off to our job for the, for, for the day, that this isn't that spiritual, this isn't that significant, that the work, this isn't even the job that I really dreamed of or thought that I, I wanted to do. But friends, don't miss the fact that, that if it's honest, righteous, good work, whatever it is, then it's pleasing to your Father in heaven. 
and you are imaging him, you are bearing his likeness, you are imitating him when you go and you put in that work and you bring something home so that you can provide for yourselves and so that you cannot be dependent on anyone else. And so also you can not only provide and not be dependent, but then have an excess, have something to give to the one who's in need. Because that's what we want to, that's what we're, we're after as providers. Yes, we provide for ourselves. Yes, we provide for our families. But we're hoping that our family will also be able to overflow and provision to help strengthen and bless and meet the needs of our neighbors. And so are you working? Have you put away all dishonest gain? Have you, have you put away all stealing? Are you laboring to do what is good? We know that in John 10, Jesus says the thief only comes to, uh, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So when we provide for others, we're like our father in heaven. But when we steal, we're like the thief. We're like Satan himself. And so we ought to live as providers. And I'll just throw in a thing right, right here. When it comes to online things, there's a whole nother realm of ways to steal that can seem very harmless, can seem like, um, you know, this isn't hurting anyone. Uh, I remember growing up, I'll just confess that I stole a lot of music online through a bunch of different, different means, thinking, hey, what's the big deal? People are still going to buy their albums. I was taking without permission that which belonged to someone else. And that person who worked hard and did what was good and would like to provide for themselves and their family and those who they see who are in need now does less of that because I've stolen so be on guard, whether it's stuff on the internet, whether it's dig- in the digital realm, whether it's the physical realm, whether it's at, at work and at, you know, in a secular job, whether it's work in a church, wherever it is, may we be people who are doing hard, diligent, honest work, doing that which is good, living as providers. And so we live as members, we live as soldiers, we live as providers, But we have two more practical roles to look at. Let's move to the the fourth now. How shall we live this new life in Christ? We shall live as builders, verses 29 and 30. The word of God reads, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if we're going to put off the old man and put on the new man and be renewed in our minds and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and to be eager to maintain the unity of the bond of spirit, all things we're called to in this chapter at the beginning of it, then we are to be those who live as builders. And we speak about builders here. The building that we're doing is not with our hands, but is with our words. 
We are to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up. So in order to accomplish that, we have to first, our first responsibility is to negatively let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Well, what is, what is this corrupting talk? The word used here for corrupting speaks of that which is rotten or putrid. It referred to rotting fish or, or fruit. Is that which, which smells terrible. Um, if, you get, if you smell something that is, is corrupting and, and, and rotting, you, you, you have an instant reaction of disgust. You have a, a, a repulsion. And that's the way it should be with nasty speech. And, and filthy speech. We should have that same sort of reaction. No one wants to eat food that's rotten, and no one wants to hear your speech that smells bad. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And I want to just say, pay close attention to this. I think that often we, we loosen up when we're just with our friends, or just with our brothers, or just with the guys, or just with the girls. Pay close attention. How am I speaking? How am I speaking? What's coming out of my mouth? Am I grumbling? Am I complaining? Am I tearing down others? Am I gossiping? Am I slandering? Am I whining? Am I speaking things that are, that are hurtful? Am I speaking things that are gross? Am I speaking things that are immoral? Am I speaking things that, that God would not be pleased for me to say? That God, who has his Holy Spirit dwelling in me, is what I'm saying right now going to honor the Spirit or going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And so if you have a habit of speaking things that are filthy, put it away. Put it away. It has no place in your new life in Christ. Put it away. Speak only what is for building up. We see that our words are to be the means by which we lift, which we create, which we build. You guys know that it's way easier to destroy than it is to create. God alone is the creator, but Satan can destroy. I have my, my 10-year-old son who can, you know, build something not terribly complex, but, you know, can build something uh, somewhat complex out of his Legos and then I have my three-year-old son who can come in and who cannot build what my 10-year-old has built. But guess what my three-year-old can do? He could destroy like the best of us, right? He could take that out. And he does uh, sometimes. Uh, much to, you know, my, my older son's, <laughs> his dismay. He gets upset. And he's mad. And he spent this time creating. And it was so hard. And it took this much time. You guys get the point. It's easier to destroy than it is to build up. And I think that oftentimes, even among brothers and sisters in Christ, we fall into the same sort of pattern. That's why we need to put it off. 
and our speech with each other and the way that we talk about others, it's often easier to destroy and to tear down and to undermine and attack than it is to do anything constructive, to think, well, man, I don't have a nice thing to say about this person right now. Okay, well, why don't you ask God in that moment, Lord, please help me to know how to build this person up. Lord, please, as I enter into conversation with this person, or I see my brothers and sisters in Christ at church as we hang out at the the potluck together, Lord, help me to realize that none of this is accidental. All of this is your doing, so I want to be here using my words to build these people up. Every conversation you have, may it be holy. May, may, May you speak the same way as if Jesus were standing right next to you in that conversation with you. Why? Because his spirit is dwelling in you. And this, I think, is why Paul moves from the speech and building up and giving grace to then verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's possible that that's just a standalone command, but I think that that's connected to the the speech. And so, if so, then we understand that our speech has the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. And, And what would we expect? What would we expect unholy speech to do to the Holy Spirit who's dwelling in us except to grieve the Holy Spirit? And that's exactly what our speech that is defiling and unholy and gross and immoral does. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. When we think here just for a second on grieving the Holy Spirit, we, we see that the Holy Spirit is a person that can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is not a power, a, not an impersonal power, the Holy Spirit is powerful, but it's not just some force or, or you know, impersonal power or principle, right? like gravity. You know, gravity is not grieved. <laughs> I could jump off a hundred-story building and fall to my death, and gravity is not grieved at all. But if I say one immoral thing, one thing that's not fitting, not one thing that's not building up, one thing that's not in love, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit has, has sealed us. The Holy Spirit is the, the, the official uh, stamp authorization that we have been made believers. And that we are going to be believers all the way into the day of redemption. When we receive not just the first fruits of the Spirit, which we already have now by faith in Christ. But where we receive the fullness of God's Spirit and full resurrected bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. And so we have no business treating those who are also sealed with the Spirit and speaking of them in ways and using words that undermine and tear them down. Lest we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There's a quote by Aritori that I like in regards to grieving the Holy Spirit. And it's a little bit longer, so bear with me on it. And I'll just say that I don't agree with Aritori on everything, but I think that he nails it right here. He says, there's perhaps... No passage in the entire Bible in which the personality of the Holy Spirit comes out more tenderly and touchingly than in Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. 
Here grief is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not blind in personal force or power that comes into our lives to illuminate, sanctify, and empower them. No, he is immeasurably more than that. He is a holy person who comes to dwell in our hearts. And he goes on and he says, and, one, and the Holy Spirit is the one who sees clearly. Just hear this. Sees clearly every act we perform, every word we speak, every thought that we entertain, even the most fleeting fancy that is allowed to pass through our minds. And if there is anything in act or word or deed that is impure, unholy, unkind, selfish, mean, petty, or untrue, this infinitely holy one is deeply grieved by it. And he says, I know of no thought that will help one more than this to lead a holy life and to walk softly in the presence of the Holy One. How often a young man is kept back from yielding to the temptations that surround young manhood by the thought that if he should yield to the temptation that now assails him, his holy mother might hear it and would be grieved beyond expression. How often some young man has had his hand upon the door of some place of sin that he's about to enter, and the thought has come to him, if I should enter there, my mom might hear of it, and it would nearly kill her. And he has turned his back upon that door and gone away to lead a pure life that he might not grieve his mother. But there is one who is holier than any mother, one who is more sensitive against sin than the purest woman who ever walked this earth, one who loves us and as even no mother has ever loved, and this one dwells in our hearts if we are really Christians and sees every act we do by day or under the covering by night. He hears every word we utter in public or private. And so he goes on. But you get the idea. Have you ever feared your mom knowing that she was a holy woman and she knew what you were doing? It would, it would grieve her heart. And that kept you from doing something that you knew you shouldn't have done. How much more the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. May we not grieve the Spirit by any way. But especially with the way that we speak and use our words. May we use them to build up. May by the power of the Spirit we have wisdom in what to say. How can I comfort this person? How can I encourage this person? What piece of wisdom can I offer this person? What burden can I bear for this person? What are they going through that, that I can serve and I can help? How can I help them? What promise maybe can I, can, of the gospel can I, can I share with them? Use your words to build others up. Live as builders. So how then shall we live this new life in Christ? We've seen we are to live as members, as soldiers, as providers, and builders. And lastly, we live as peacemakers. Let's look at these last few verses together. Verses 31 through 32, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Just read that again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Live as peacemakers. What are those two verses telling us? They're telling us to live as peacemakers. 
The things that make for war are mentioned first. These are the things that divide. These are the things that undermine trust, that undermine unity. That's bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Those are the things that we are to put away. And when it speaks of, of bitterness here, that's this, this uh, animosity and hatred that, that we can have. And then this wrath and anger and clamor, all these together pictures a, a not just an a inward heart disposition, but also one that's verbally loud. Uh, clamor, you got, you got people screaming at each other. You got slander. Because usually when you're upset and you're mad with people and you get to the point where you guys are all yelling at each other, that you often bring in just all sorts of personal attacks. That's where the slander comes in. And you fight dirty instead of fighting clean. These are the things that divide. These are the things that pull people and members of the body apart from one another. And they have no place in our new life in Christ. And so they should be put away from you. And I just want to say here, if, if you notice that your interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church or with your family, or with your wife, or with your children, or grandchildren, is characterized by bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, shouting matches, screaming, slander, those sorts of things, humble yourself, come talk to brothers and sisters here, confess that, come to people, confess and repent of it, and ask for people to help hold you accountable to that. Put it off. Put it away from you. And then positively, what what are you to do instead? Verse 32. As a peacemaker, you not only have the responsibility to put off, but you also have to put on, it says here, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Aren't those beautiful verses? Be kind. Would you guys say that the people who know you, who are closest to you, spend the most time with you, would describe you in this way? She is kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. He, I wish you got to know him like I know him. He is a kind man. He's a tenderhearted man. He's a forgiving man. He's not a man that's holding grudges. He's not a man that's looking for a reason to, to attack people or to hate people. He's a man who, who can deal with other people hurting and attacking him and sinning against him. And he's kind and he's tenderhearted and he's forgiving. When his brother or sister comes to him, he forgives. doesn't matter if it's 77 times in a day, as many times in a day as someone comes to him or to her to say, I repent. They forgive them. We are to live as peacemakers. And notice the ground for all this. The ground for all this is the example set by God and by Christ. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember, these things that we've been talking about, this new life, I maybe didn't mention this at the beginning, but... But we're saying to live this way in light of the fact that you are a new creature in Christ. This is not do these things and you might be saved. 
This is by God's grace. You've heard the gospel. You've heard that though God is holy, he loved you. He sent his son for you. His son paid the penalty for you by the blood of Christ. You've been washed and you've been cleansed and you've been forgiven and you've been made new and you've been made his children. And thus being his children, then now walk like your father. Walk like your father, your father who has forgiven you. When you went astray, your father who was kind to you, his kindness led you to repentance. Your father who was tender hearted toward you and forgave you through Christ. You heard that, you believed that, and you were forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says that, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So as we went through this list, maybe you think, man, I fell short of a lot of those. And I have some repenting I need to do this morning. Praise God, go about that repenting. But know that Christ has paid for all your sins. All the times you fell short before you followed Christ and after you followed Christ, Christ paid for it all. And you can be comforted and encouraged by that. And being so thankful for that, you should then live your life in accord with this new life that you have in Christ. I want to briefly mention here, if you're not a believer, we've been talking about things that are true of believers. And maybe as you've heard these things, you think, man, those are good things. Like, I agree with the, those things. They all sound good and nice and, and true. And, you know, but the, the, the problem is, is you can't just take these morals and take them out and then say, oh, just leave the Jesus stuff, leave the God stuff, leave the, you know, uh, the day of redemption stuff, leave the grieving the Holy Spirit stuff aside. I don't know about all that, but, but I'll try to kind of live a life like you, the one you described here. My friend, No. That's not what the word calls us to do. That's not what any of us are trying to do in this room. But our testimony to you is that our lives were characterized, our old lives before Christ were characterized by this sort of living. We were stealing. We were, we were speaking falsehood. We were lying. We were hating others and being hated by, by others. But then the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared and saved us. And so now we live these things out with thankful hearts, not trying to gain salvation, not trying to gain forgiveness of sins, but already having it and seeking only to please our Lord with the remaining time that he gives us to serve him. And so if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Christ, you're not living for him, call upon his name. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he will be pleased. It doesn't matter what sins on this that we've covered this morning that you have spent most of your life doing. It does not matter. All of it can be blotted out. All of it can be removed from you. It will be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Though your sins are like scarlet, God says, I'll make them white as snow. Though the things that you committed in darkness when you thought no one else could see and you come to the reality that if God exists and he's real, then he sees. Yes, he sees and he also pardons. If you will call on his name. He'll pardon your sin. 
He'll completely forgive you. And then you, being made a child of God, can have great joy knowing that when Christ comes back and I stand before him on the day of judgment, I can have confidence and not shrink back knowing that Christ paid for all my sins. And then I'm accepted and then I'm a child of God and then I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You can have that assurance. You can have that encouragement this morning if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ. So I plead with you to do so this morning. Come to him. No forgiveness of sins. All you have to do is put your faith in him. Repent. Put your faith in him and follow him. And in following him, you'll be following his father. And you'll begin to join the rest of these precious saints and living the new life that we have in Christ together as peacemakers, as builders, and the rest. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word that was that is everything we need for life and godliness. May you apply it to our hearts. May we grow in our holiness and likeness to you. And may you give us joy, Lord, as we live in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.